0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Harsh Truths Podcast. I am your host, Roman Leva. If this is your first time listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcasting platform is. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at Harsh Truths podcast and on Twitter at Harsh Truths Pod. If you like what you hear and you want to support the ongoing work that the podcast does, please consider going to patreon.com slash Podcast and becoming a Patreon supporter. I'll have more information on that at the end of the episode. This episode should be the first of two episodes in July to make up for the hiatus that I took in June. And I only have a handful more episodes recorded, so... Starting in the fall, if this uh, pandemic hasn't eased up, and uh, and unfortunately in the United States it really doesn't look like it's going to, I'm going to have to get a little creative with the episodes. So so bear with me, and I'm sure we will find a way to keep you entertained as uh, we continue to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. My guest this episode is Dean Lloyd Robinson of Knifed Out of Existence and Outsider Art Records. Dean was in the United States right before the travel bans went into effect, so I was glad to sit down with him and have the conversation that follows. Okay, so if you don't mind, can you introduce yourself?
1: Hello, my name is Dean Lloyd Robinson. I do the project Knife Out of Existence and run the label Outsider Art, and I'm currently based on the south coast of England.
0: What was your first introduction to experimental music?
1: So I was recording for a like, MySpace grind project with a friend I went to school with. I went over there, and he had been to a record store in London like the weekend before or something, and had brought back like a Mertzbau anti-whaling comp and he played me that and I was like wow we could totally do that now so we recorded a noise track instead of like the grind thing we had planned and there that was the yeah that was the my first time I think first time properly hearing noise and first time trying to make noise as well
0: okay and you were how old
1: I was at school before I went to college so it had been about 15 16 around that kind of age
0: And you were doing, you said you were doing like other extreme music projects at the time?
1: Yeah, so he was, he'd got mad into agrophobic nosebleed. And I was like, yeah, I'll come shout over your, your electronic blast beats. So yeah, that was kind of before I'd properly started playing in bands. I think I, yeah, I think I tried to do some metal bands with people around that kind of age, but it was before I really sort of got into punk and hardcore and started playing shows regularly.
0: Do you remember what initially drew you towards heavier music?
1: I think it's just that it's always been that kind of think that lots of people have that sort of, oh, I've heard this thing, like, what's more extreme than that? What's heavier than this? What's, yeah, just continuing down that rabbit hole to find the next kind of extreme thing. And I guess, I guess certainly as I got older, the kind of relationship with sort of like negative feelings and heavy music that people have is sort of what kept me interested and like the sort of the ethics and everything involved kind of yeah drew me towards that i guess yeah the usual sort of needing an outlet and wanting to find like-minded people and that kind of thing is yeah what continued to draw me to it
0: was there a lot of music around when you were younger for me there was no no real music around in my house so Initially I just was drawn to music because uh it existed and I could listen to it.
1: Yeah, my my dad was a vocalist in a band. So yeah, so like my first musical experiences will have been going to see see him play and he was really into music. So yeah, a lot of my first introductions to music yeah were in my childhood and yeah through my dad. So yeah, there was a lot of music growing up.
0: I know you live in the South Coast of england now but were you did you grow up in that area or so i I
1: grew up on the south coast but in a different part of the south coast so i was born in Poole, which is a small small town just outside of bournemouth and i now live in brighton which is about two and a half hours down the coast so i don't i don't live where i grew up but i still live in geographically relatively similar area
0: so you meant to record a, a agoraphobic nosebleed style Project and you ended up recording a noise track. Was it just kind of full steam ahead from there? No, absolutely
1: not. That kind of happened. I was like, that's
0: cool. And then around that
1: time is when I discovered like Black Flag and Minor Threat and got really into sort of that kind of like 80s US hardcore thing. And then my best friend at school, Tim, was like totally obsessed with the same kind of thing. And then from sort of that point, it was kind of me and him becoming totally obsessed with punk and wanting to do that. And then we started a hardcore band and then ended up doing a more kind of like grindcorey corey power violence sort of band. The noise thing happened and then the punk obsession happened and then hardcore punk led into power violence. And that's, that's what consumed my life for, yeah, the next few years, certainly until my early twenties. And then, and then when I was in a power violence band, I started doing noise in the band. And then when that band ended is when I went really full force with, noise so it was kind of like did the noise thing got more into punk and then power violence led background to
0: noise and then noise became the the, the overriding thing i know because i have s- sort of a similar background in that like hardcore was my entry point in the noise and me actually playing around with noise came a came a little bit later than starting to listen to noise but it was primarily motivated by I wanted to do something where I didn't have to deal with my bandmates. Not that they were they There's some of them listened to it. Not that they weren't lovely people, but it just, I wanted to be able to do something that was self-contained and that I could be responsible for and didn't have to put that responsibility on anyone else. Or rely on anyone else to to share that responsibility. During this time when you were focused more on hardcore and punk and power violence, were you still listening to noise?
1: Yeah, so it was sort of running parallel to when I was in the power violence bands. There's three people I met in Bournemouth that were basically key to me developing in noise and going to see those guys. And I met them all at shows in Bournemouth and like two of them through playing in punk and grind bands and stuff. So Adam, who does Deadwood. Tom, who does, who did Content Nullity, now does Mollusk King. And then my friend Lee, who did a project called Cliff Bastard and Mylar Blackout. And me, I met those guys all through punk and metal and hardcore shows in Bournemouth. And it was then going to see the noise shows they were also playing. That was, that was something I was kind of doing separate to being in punk bands at the time. And then sort of eventually those kind of, those crossed over. And yeah, and two of those people ended up doing noise for the Power Violence Band. I was in at one point. So, yeah, the noise thing was kind of running underneath for a while. And then I was going to just sort of go to noise shows on my own to see those guys play. And then, yeah, later along the line, it sort of started to cross over a bit more.
0: So how long did it take you from playing noise kind of as like a, uh, an element in your band to doing noise by yourself and playing shows and, and doing releases? I think the first cassette I did with Knifed came out
1: in 2012. And I remember it was released at an aldeia that my Power Violence band was playing. So there was a little bit of a crossover. The first, I kind of take Knifed really sort of starting from the, the first time I played live and the first time I toured, which was March 2013. And the last gig of the power violence band I was in was also in 2013 at some point. I think we we'd split up and I did the knife tour on the same dates that I was supposed to be doing a tour with the power violence band. So it was almost instant. This band's ended. I do noise now. So yeah, there was a little bit of a crossover where I put out the very first knife tape, which is about probably about three minutes of music, like two, like minute and a half noise tracks. Um, in yeah 2012 and then basically pretty much as the old band ended i did the first knife tour so yeah there was almost no gap between wow yeah the band ending and noise noise tour starting
0: okay yeah where did the name come from
1: the name came from on the column of heaven's first release ecstatically embracing all that we habitually suppress there is a howard bloom sample at the end which it's when you look inside yourself you'll find the gods of war you'll find the gods of genocide and they'll be the most powerful passions in you and you have to knife them out of existence and that's where I took it from the quote at the the sample at the end of the record goes on to sort of talk about not waiting to make your passions happen but acting on them now because everything you're doing now leads up to what you're doing in the future and yeah I kind of With Knife being something I wanted to do purely for myself and to make sure, like you said, not relying on other people that you can, you know, you can do releases on your own, you can tour on your own. And it also being a vehicle to get rid of negative emotions or at least find a more positive path to put those emotions in. That that little speech at the end of that record really lined up with a lot of what I was thinking. And so I like the duality of the name sounding quite negative and hostile, but in context of where the sample comes from, it actually has quite a positive
0: concept behind it. Which seems to be kind of a common, almost like a trope in hardcore and punk is that even though it's incredibly negative, it's, it tends to be coming from a positive place.
1: Yeah. Ne- negative music for positive ends is, I can't remember where I read that once, but yeah, that really, Stuck with me. Yeah, it's definitely also kind of like that sort of to outside is it looks like something else. And but once you're in it and you understand it, you know that that's not the case. And
0: yeah, and so I assume coming from that background, you know, it was kind of easy to go right into booking shows and playing shows because the DIY world, if you know if you know how to do the DIY thing in one part of the underground, you're going to be able to kind of transfer that into the other part.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I knew how to book shows. Also the first knife tour was with Deadwood and Svartvit. Svartvit's the same age as me but had been has been doing noise a little bit longer so he kind of already knew in fact at that point in his life he was a maniac for booking shows. He played a noise show on Christmas Day once. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's the level of tour booking he was capable of and then also Adam from Deadwood is a bit older than me and had been doing labels and noise and stuff since the 90s so he knew that. So yeah, I kind of had my my punk booking knowledge combined with somebody who was yeah, just booking shows like a maniac and somebody who had been involved in stuff with years. So yeah, it was yeah, booking the first tour was pretty easy.
0: When you started recording for Knife, did you have concepts that you knew you wanted to explore or did it just kind of come naturally?
1: I feel that the, yeah, sort of the idea of it being a vehicle to, for like a healthy expression of negative emotions, that's kind of always been there. But I think as I did the project more and stuff, the themes and the ideas and stuff became more refined and I kind of now know sort of what definitely is sort of like a knifed idea and what suits the project. So yeah, I'd say that there was the sort of basic premise of the project going in was there, but as I've sort of grown up and done the project more, it's kind of sort of just cemented what I'm going for. Yeah, the ideas have always been there. They've just evolved and become more focused,
0: I guess. Let me backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Do you remember what exactly drew you towards noise? Yeah, I think there was... I think
1: it was kind of a similar thing that drew me towards punk. With punk, it's like, his three chords, start a band, and noise, it's like here's no chords do it on your own it's kind of that sort of attitude of not needing the sort of traditional skills or whatever involved with music but still being able to create I think being able to do something without the sort of the traditional skills involved in working that kind of areas I really like that idea of it being sort of something anybody could do and that it wasn't I don't know there wasn't gatekeeping by sort of ability or skill or whatever. I went to a grammar school and it was very sort of have good grades, be a good musician, be a great rugby player and stuff. I guess there was lots of people at school who were involved in music that were focused on becoming like a virtuoso musician. And I was getting kicked out of the music room for making feedback with the school base. So <laughs> it's, I guess the kind of, because I've I've never been traditionally skilled in any kind of music like I tried to play bass when I was younger and I still kind of like play guitar a bit but I'm not a good musician in any kind of traditional sense so I think yeah growing up and going to school with people who are like very focused on becoming good traditional sort of virtuoso musicians and music being my favorite thing in the world and still wanting to do something with it yeah noise as a means to make music without yeah, requiring the traditional skills is really what drew me to it. Sort of when a lot of the first noise shows I went to were lots of kind of like sort of artier noise and like droney kind of noise and stuff. And then with the punk thing, I was like, I really want to do something that's like this with vocals over the top. And then obviously very soon discovered that's basically what Power Electronics is. Initially, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Imagine if you had this this kind of noise thing, but you still had sort of the vocals like you have in hardcore and stuff. And then I was like, oh, that—that that is something that very, very much <laughs> exists. For a small moment, I thought I invented power electronics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that most people that I know that come from that, you know, our shared background that are into noise, it's just, it's sort of the logical step. Yeah. Especially if what motivates you to be involved in punk and hardcore is... The unconventional nature of it. I mean, what's more unconventional than saying... Not just saying, fuck your corporate rock, but actually just fuck your instruments altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck any, uh, you know, song structure or anything.
1: Yeah, if there's no authority but yourself, why should there be a musical theory authority? Right,
0: was there a point in your, in your life early on where you realized that, that you were drawn towards unconventional music and, and kind of an unconventional lifestyle? Was there like a moment where you said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be an outsider. And that's just kind of, I, I don't know how to go from there, but, but yeah, was there a moment where you realized, oh, I'm drawn towards things that not everyone in my universe is drawn to?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I remember when I was growing up really little, I just, just didn't like being like other people. I I, I remember my mum buying me a shirt and then absolutely loving that shirt and then seeing a couple of other people in town wearing that shirt. And I was like, I don't want to be like them and not wanting to wear the shirt anymore. And then, I guess, yeah, when I was at grammar school, I think was kind of when I really sort of realised kind of how much of an outsider, yeah, you know, like you say, that I felt because yeah, I went to an all boys grammar school, which was very, very focused on academics and sports and stuff. And I'm dyspraxic. So I've got no coordination, like sport and like my, like my muscles in my legs are too short and stuff. So sports was never a thing for me. And yeah, so I think growing up in this all male sports focused environment when I was no good at sports and then outside of school, a lot of my friends were female and my mum and my sister and my mum's a child so I grew up in a childcare environment so I think a lot of what was going on at school wasn't necessarily didn't fit in with how I felt outside of school also I guess I think I was probably I was probably in like year six I think that was around the time my my nan passed away and I first started listening to Nirvana I think looking back that was probably my first depressive episode sure and like really didn't like going to school, didn't like spending my time doing that and then obviously dealing with grief as well. Yeah I think sort of around that time when I found the sort of there was obviously in the grand scheme of things now looking back Nirvana is not an underground band but Nirvana wasn't on the radio in the UK at that time or certainly Mm -hmm. not any radio stations I was hearing so it felt like something more separate that lined up more with what I was feeling so yeah. Yeah I guess when I was in year six and I lost my nan and then sort of Turn to music to help with that grief was sort of the first time of feeling like things weren't wrong and I didn't fit and things, I wasn't happy about things. Mm-hmm. And then I think, yeah, going to a a rugby accessed all boys grammar school really crystallized that I was not, <laughs> not, a uh, not like everybody
0: else I went to school with. With that being said, did you experience uh, like bullying in school or?
1: Um, never like physical bullying. I, Incredibly lucky to have got through that school with never being beaten up. I'm super lucky for that. But um I had long hair and that was just enough for like every other boy to shout something at you walking down the corridor. So yeah, yeah, I was never physically bullied, but walking between lessons, there's no way I would walk from one classroom to another without somebody yelling an incredibly witty remark about the fact that my hair was longer than other people's. <laughs> Also, one of our head of years was probably the biggest bully I had was one of the teachers who was, he was like the head of rugby and he was also the head of our year. And yeah, if you weren't one of the rugby kids, he didn't have time for you. So yeah, verbal bullying, but not physical bullying.
0: A lot of times when younger people start to veer off the normal path that society offers us, one of the first points of resistance we meet sometimes even before we, with the outside world, it's just in our home life. How did your family take you taking a turn off the the beaten path?
1: I mean, I guess because, because I'd grown up with music, I was always grown up into a lot of the music my dad was into. Like me sort of being into music was kind of expected. I was into rock and like Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and stuff from a super young age, because that's what I was exposed to. So yeah, I guess at home to my parents, it probably just, seemed like oh he's into rock music so he's now going getting into more rock music so yeah my parents were always super supportive of me being involved in music and stuff so because I know that obviously lots of people growing up it'd be like oh my god why are you growing your hair out and listening to this devil music or whatever (laughs) so like but that wasn't yeah that wasn't the case at home just because I guess yeah me being into rock music had been a thing since I was like six or whatever so right right yeah there wasn't Yeah, there wasn't too much resistance at home about it, I don't think.
0: I I know that with most, if not all of of your releases, you take care of the artwork. Was that something that developed out of kind of just anyone who books a show eventually has to make a collage for a flyer? Or was that like something you did as younger? Because I used to think that my tendency towards making visual art came from punk and hardcore. But then... Fairly recently, it was brought to my attention that I definitely made a collage when I was in middle school that got me in trouble because it was it was for the art, middle school art class. Uh, I guess that you'd call it year six, actually, funny right. enough. And I had done a collage with a bunch of pictures from a war magazine, like a magazine report on war and threw red paint over it. And I got sent to the office and like to send to the school psychiatrist to see if, you know. What was going on at home and i don't think it had anything to do with my home life i just think i was kind of drawn towards the the morbid nature of it or something but my dad reminded me of that and i was like oh yeah that i definitely made a fucked up collage when i was like a kid so it didn't start with punk but for for yourself do you remember when you started doing uh visual art
1: that's just that's that's amazing that's such a good story have you still got that collage
0: no, I definitely don't. Oh, that, um,
1: I was going to say that should definitely be a tape cover if you did. but <laughs> um, Yeah, I think the idea of collage just as a concept has been buried in my head since I was little, because do you get Argos over here? Argos? Yeah, it's like a, a shop where everything's in a catalogue and you pick a number from the catalogue and you take the number up to the till and you... No. Okay, so there's this shop in England called Argos where there's these catalogues and it's like toys and jewellery and like homeware and that kind of thing you go into the shop you write the number in the catalogue take the piece of paper up to the till and then they get it from out back and bring it to you but when I was little my mum with me and the children she childmined would always give us an Argos catalogue and we'd cut out pictures of the toys and yeah glue them together and make a collage and that was a regular activity for me and the other childminding children so I was making collages when I was super super young like four five six and whatever so I guess yeah the idea of you can stick different pictures together to make a new picture was something that was embedded from me in me from yeah from when I was really small and then I when I was little I used to draw constantly like all the time wherever we, like I'd draw in the car when we went to visit my nan I'd be drawing I'd sit at home and draw like I used to draw all the time so I guess when I was yeah when I was small I was making artwork near yeah, constantly I'm My mum has said that I would basically never not be drawing when I was little, which seems, I don't know when that dropped off and I kind of wish it didn't drop off because it would be, if I was drawing every day when I was like six and seven, if I'd have continued to draw every day until now, I'm sure I'd be a really good artist in that respect. But yeah, I remember when at school, when I was doing art, I did art GCSE and I wasn't particularly good at it. So I think collage was like with noise, a way to make art. In a way that doesn't necessarily require the same traditional technical skills, so yeah, I think yeah, I leaned towards making art when I was little because I was constantly drawing, and the idea of collage was embedded in me from yeah. So yeah, there was I guess so uh, there was there was art before hardcore, yeah.
0: Right, right, yeah. You had mentioned your nan passing and that kind of being what you might think of was your. An early like depressive episode for yeah. you, and I hope this doesn't come off as presumptuous. But with a lot of the knife material, much like a, a lot of the plague mother material that I do, like it's it seems pretty apparent that you're working through depression or like negative negative emotions for sure and negative headspace. Do you? I don't even know how I want to ask a question about that, but could could you maybe, do you want to, do you want to speak on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think if you look at a Knife Diet of Existence release and don't pick up that there's probably some depression involved in it, you're definitely not paying enough attention. As I said earlier, it's always been a vehicle to like create, create something out of, yeah, out of those negative experiences. The first EP I did for Strange Rules, Reclaiming Stolen Time, that title refers to all the the time you've lost to depression ended up being repurposed for this kind of thing, for this outlet, for this piece of art or whatever. So yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of that being like, if I'm going to have to suffer through this, I want there to be, I want to have either learnt something or created something out of those feelings. And yeah. It's, it's a deeply, yeah, like a deeply personal thing. For me, punk was always kind of a more outward-looking thing and it was kind of a bit more related to the world and politics and social issues and stuff, whereas Knife's always been like purely about me, so more focused on those issues and working through them. And yeah, it's I've always want Knife to seem quite like a, quite an honest, vulnerable thing, I don't want it to be like a big macho kind of thing. I want it to to be expressing very real feelings
0: and it to be very inward and reflecting.
1: What was the second part of your question?
0: I I guess I didn't really answer yeah. it, or I didn't really ask a question. I just was saying I guess I was just looking for some insight into yeah. the, into that because you know for me like mother is, is much as is much the same in the sense that it's it's very introspective and self-reflective and uh in in a way it's trying to process some of the feelings and experiences that I haven't really found a better way to process than just making noise you know obviously I do other projects that aren't so sensitive but yeah. <laughs> um you know that's that's what that's what plague mother is is about and 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 I sensed early on when we when we came into contact and and listening to knife you know I, yes. I sensed like a kindred spirit, uh you know along you know with you just like a Zen and 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 Valentine and and Derek Spots and and every, the sensitivity the, yeah the whole crew. <laughs> yeah the whole sensitivity electronics gang, but yeah for I guess I guess I was just looking to have like a. a a kind of a back and forth between us about how our our mental health plays into our work because for me especially right now at the time we're recording this uh, my depression is getting in the way of me creating and and it was great to actually play a few shows with you because it kind of forced me to look at my gear and to to come up with an idea for a set and and do it versus not doing anything, which is kind of what's been going on like the last few months. I've just kind of been uh, in limbo, not really, not really progressing. And that it's a, it's a hard feeling for me because there's times when I wonder not specifically noise, but like when I say like noise and, and punk and hardcore, just that whole, the whole underground world. I sometimes wonder if, if, while, the depression definitely came before all that. Yeah. If I'm not just still depressed because of it, in the sense that, am I keeping
1: yourself in that frame of mind to keep creating? Right. Yeah. 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 And... There's, there's definitely that. Also, like, especially when you say when you get to the point where you where you do get too low to create, and then you're like oh but I need to create because this is part of my identity and this is how I get through this but then you end up feeling bad for not being able to create because you feel so bad Right, and it's this vicious circle of you're then making yourself feel bad for because you feel you don't feel well enough to create but the only reason you are creating is to feel better and it is yeah when you hit a real low point that you just don't feel like creating it is really hard and that yeah that the reclaiming stolen time tape I mentioned the there's a track on there that was kind of made up of bits and pieces of stuff that never really got finished when I was going through a particularly low episode so yeah I can yeah I can totally understand that struggle and it is that weird sort of yeah like are you keeping yourself like that on the you know the the high fidelity thing of what came first the music or the misery like right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting thing, and yeah, I think also it is it is good to keep check on that because you don't you don't want to keep yourself mentally unwell for the sake of your art, but also obviously you don't want your art to be disingenuous. So right, um, but also I'm really glad that playing the shows helped you come out of something a bit because yeah, that's that's what it's there for me for. So yeah, yeah, I'm glad I- it's helped you a bit.
0: I definitely told myself that if I came out of the shows not feeling good, that I was done. Yeah, I was just not gonna, not gonna do anything more.
1: How often does that happen? Where I think I'm um, I'm so close to finishing this? Because obviously, when it's is just you doing a project, there's you're not relying on anybody else. How often do you have that feeling of I'm I'm just about ready to like stop all of this
0: with Plague Mother? Very often. Yeah. I mean, like the year before last, I played like I think one Plague Mother show. And I did that with the hopes that I would just never do it again because it's, it, it is like a, even, even just like playing live in that headspace is not fun for me versus if I do like slit throats, I get to just kind of be a jackass. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it's fun. It's just all around fun. Like, yeah. whereas like with playing mother, it's fun isn't the right word for it. It's, it's like a, it's like a really healthy way to release a lot of negativity yeah but like i still have to think about that negativity yeah when i'm playing playing mother yeah when i'm playing slit throats i just have to think about which funny joke i'm gonna tell about which group of people i'm making fun of Yeah, you know like i said like i was like if i don't have fun on this tour i'm gonna cancel my trip to japan i'm just not gonna do any of it but then i had fun on the tour and that's that's not the first time that's happened where i've been like if this show sucks i'm not i'm not ever doing this again and and. I, in general, I, I always say, like, if I'm in a depressive episode, I'm thinking about stuff in those terms. Or, like, if I'm like, oh, I just I don't want to get rid of all my stuff and not think about noise. I don't want to think about any of it, any aspect of it. I always try to tell myself to just be patient. And when I feel better, listen to one of my favorite noise releases. And right. if I still like it, then... I can I can keep going. Yeah. The day that like I listen to depression paralysis by skin graft and I don't get hyped then I know that yeah I've probably reached my like capacity cuz that very much did happen with hardcore and punk for me where it just became a point where every new thing I heard even if I knew that it was good by all standards yeah I I wouldn't enjoy it. And it was and that's kind of where it's been it's like I could listen to all the old stuff that I Loved and still love it as much, but I haven't heard a new band that I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. And that's why I don't book hardcore punk shows. I'm not in any bands. I don't really like involve myself with it because I know that my passion for it's in the past and that's, and that that's okay. Like, I think that there's a weird element to punk and hardcore where you were kind of told by the culture itself that like you should, this is a, this is a thing that you will have the same amount of passion at 15 you will have that same amount of passion at twenty five and thirty five and forty five, and I, I think that the people that that get to like create that narrative are generally generally people that have a lot of not don't have a lot of risk. Yeah. You know, the people that were telling me to quit my job and like fight cops all have very comfortable backgrounds and yeah. didn't. And, and and at the end of the day, they end up playing Coachella versus like <laughs> me. I'm like broke and you know hoping that my like legal issues in the past are in the past yeah so yeah i i I guess i kind of went off on a little tangent there but 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 but, it
1: is it is interesting because like like you say a band can be as good as any other band you've heard but it doesn't necessarily hit you in the same way and i think it's because punk and hardcore it feeds off an emotional connection and if you're not in the headspace to emotionally connect to new bands coming out then they can be they can be as good as any other band you've ever heard. It yeah, punk and hardcore sounding good to you, like is almost as much about where you're at as what the what the band's doing at the time. So yeah.
0: And I wouldn't want to say that like noise is different necessarily, but right. but for me that's where that's where my emotional connection is, is with with noise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely been at least two points I've felt like totally thrown in the towel with knifed. I booked two tours really close together and one of them was with wet nurse and my car had broken down at the start of that tour. I'd missed the first date and I'd had to get a new car to like drive the rest of the tour and I was just like, this is enough. And then I did in September last year, I did my first tour where I was just totally me on my own, no other acts on the tour. And I got stuck in traffic and it took me seven hours or something to drive. To the show, three of which were just sat on the motorway on my own, not moving in the car, and it was like it was a really sunny day, and I was like, "This is my holiday I've taken from work. This is like nobody is making me do this for my own enjoyment. I've taken voluntarily taken off time off work, and instead of being with my girlfriend or having coffee with one of my best friends, I'm sat on my own in a not moving car on the motorway, and I was just like, "Is is this what I want to do?" And then after that, I played. Uh, Double Dot Bash a festival in Reading and it was joint best show I played that year and I was just like oh my god this is incredible and like that all totally went away but when I was sat in the car on the motorway I was just like what are you doing what are you doing mate why (laughs) why 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 do you do this like what are you achieving like stop being a weirdo and go hang out with your friends instead.
0: (laughs) I feel like it's a thing too where if you have friends that aren't If your friend circle isn't confined to just the subculture, you know, if you have friends outside of that subculture, that pressure can be even more present because then you're like, not only doing this thing that only a certain group of my friends get, but all my other friends don't understand it. And I could probably be having fun with them, but here I am doing this thing from this one specific set of my friends and half of them are you know, like, not even going to show up because, like, they have too much social anxiety or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, like, I, I see that, like, if it's just that delicate, or not even, not even, it's just a real balance between, between being in love with something that is so obscure and, and niche and trying to exist in a world that doesn't understand it.
1: Yes, yeah, it feels all encompassing and like detrimental to your life at some times. But then I feel when the moments do pay off, they pay off so much, and it, you get a real sense of satisfaction knowing this thing you've created out of negativity has been like well received and you've connected with people over it. Yeah, for me, the like, the payoffs when they do happen, even if they are sometimes incredibly irregular and. (laughs) There is those moments that really, really make it worthwhile.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the friendships that I've made yeah. through through this are yeah, I mean, friendships I'm, I wouldn't I'm have. I'm sat in your house on the other side of the world. Yeah, like, exactly. That, which
1: wouldn't have happened otherwise. So. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: A friend of mine, Zach, who I play in a band with, and he's a really good visual artist as well. We spend a lot of time, because I think we're both people who are like rapidly getting older, having grown up in punk and hardcore and have sort of gone off and done sort of slightly different things like i'm doing noise and he does visual art as like our main focuses and lots of the time when we talk about feeling bad and like handling depression and stuff it's just like yeah but i don't know how people who didn't get into punk handle this right because like even if you're not doing punk he makes art and does zines and like that's his outlet which obviously that comes from punk and now like still finding these ways to handle your feelings that are essentially ideas that were introduced to you by punk. Yeah, when you talk to a quote-unquote normal person about handling their feelings and it's like, Wait, just, just, just write a new record and go on tour. But if they're not making music or they're not making <laughs> art, it's like trying to... F- yeah, I don't know how people figure out their life without having that sort of... that focus, even if that focus is detrimental and annoying. Right, at times. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that I noticed pretty early on in, in getting to know you is that you play a lot of shows more than most noise artists play. You go on tour very pretty regularly and, and we play if I could. Yeah. 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 So there's multiple factors. I would imagine there's probably a, like you can tour England, the amount of space, physical space you have to cover to play like a dozen cities in the UK. This is like, there's not a dozen cities in the United States that are that close together that we could could successfully do that here yeah. but
1: the weekend we did we could have driven from the south coast of england to scotland and back and then right. probably most of the way back to scotland right, like, right. and in that right. time we did three cities
0: here like right yeah yeah exactly so i guess that would be l factor and you in you playing as many shows but it's still i mean i don't i, I don't think of a lot of of UK artists that are, that are playing nearly as many shows as you. And I, I like I said, like, I think you're one of them as, as far as like, as noise goes, like one of the most regularly touring artists that I can think of. Where did that come from? Cause like a lot of people don't even bother to play live.
1: Yeah. I guess there's, there's, I think there's two main factors of the fact that, like I said, the project being like this outlet for like never negative feelings and it being quite cathartic. So me, I regularly want that cathartic experience of playing live. Also, punk bands tour constantly. My old band, we went on tour for two months straight. Mm -hmm. And just because I wasn't playing punk anymore, it never occurred to me that I still shouldn't be playing hundreds of shows. Yeah, I guess wanting that catharsis and it just having been drummed into me that you play live all the time, like you put a record out, you go on tour. And also, you know, like you say, like the friendships you forge through this, I... There's so many people that I consider really, really good friends who have helped me through stuff and I've helped them through stuff that I probably only ever really see at shows. So if I'm not going on tour, I'm not going to get to see so many people that I really value. So I want to see my friends. I want that cathartic experience. And it's just never occurred to me to not go on
0: tour. Right. (laughs) Usually I don't get into this territory with the podcast because I I don't know why, but Playing live and, and noise, A, like playing live noise and playing noise at home, like if you do, if you play live more, you realize like certain things don't work that worked in the home setting. Mm-hmm. Especially with people that do vocals, they learn that really, there's like the stereotype of like bad power electronics set where like the microphone's just feeding back and you can't actually hear anything because... They've only ever done it at home and not on like a live setting. Yeah. So I would imagine for for someone who does incorporate like vocals in their project, you've probably had to like fine tune like the way, the way you present your project live.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also I, I feel that doing it, doing it live has always fed into the recordings. Like generally I'll sort of work something out at home, then I'll play it on a tour. And then what it's been adapted to live is how it'll end up on the recording but yeah yeah I've learned a lot of stuff playing live and to me now a lot of the time the difference between a good show and a bad show is just monitors if there's good monitors in the venue that are really loud and you can really hear yourself I can I can make that situation a good show I did for a while take my own PA on tour because I was sick of battling with sound guys that sound 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 engineers that didn't understand or more reasonably, didn't want you know their tweeters burnt out by like horrendous high end feedback. But yeah, yeah, the set you've practiced for hours and hours and hours at home on headphones. When you play it live through a PA first time, and then a contact mic that was a subtle scraping in the background is now bleeding feedback all over everything. Yeah, yeah, something that yeah sounded good at home can sound awful slash inaudible. Yeah, I've definitely learnt a lot of stuff playing live. And yeah, taking my own PA on tour for a while was was a really good idea. Though I did have one show where the sound engineer insisted on miking up my PA, and then having me turn it down so low that there was no mic feedback, and that was such an annoying experience. So it's like even there was points where it's like even if I have my own PA, I'm still going to encounter problems doing this
0: thing live shame cup 2020 preview for everyone speaker heroes is definitely <laughs> a category and oh. it's exclusively like these people that want to protect their pa speakers you signed up for a noise show buddy yeah. you uh you're losing them tweeters tonight oh,
1: yeah now oh. i'm just i'm just going to talk about that one show in london where the guy might my pa up because it made me so angry so it was when i was on tour with uh, like a noise rock band called working my noise unit their bass player Dom's like one of my best friends so we were alternatively doing a set where it was a solo knife set one night and then a knife set with him playing synth and so the sets where he was playing synth it was basically me just doing vocals and microphone feedback and that london show was one of those and the dude told me to turn my pa down so quiet that i had the like the microphone basically rammed in the speaker cone and there was no feedback whatsoever and i was like he's doing all the like textures and synth work for this set, like literally all I'm doing is shouting and making a mic feedback and it's not working. Like, (laughs) please just let me have this loud enough. And then he was like, yeah, but if it's too loud, then people are just going to leave. And I was like, well, let them leave. And then he was like, well, if they leave, what's the point then? You're a sound engineer. We're just here to mic this up. We're not here to argue the merits of whether the amount of people enjoying the art makes it worthy or whatever. I was just, oh, that was such an annoying experience.
0: (laughs) Also, that venue was serving foie gras. Oh, that, that's uh, so many strikes. Yeah. This this one show I played in Cleveland at a club called... The, it's called The Foundry now. Years and years ago, it was called The Blind Lemon. I, I saw Converge play there one time, and Jacob Bannon threw the monitor through the, the loading door uh, during their set. I played the show, and the guy who was doing the PA was just a normal sound engineer, not at all prepared for noise, and he, like had the sound so compressed and so low that I literally as I was playing just started talking over it and it was it was actually the last show I played in Cleveland before I moved to Milwaukee years ago so I was literally talking and telling my friends goodbye and how much I was going to miss them as like my like wall of noise was just low enough that like they could hear me without me having to shout it was uh
1: have you got recording of that show
0: no, I know. Because, I know there used to be a video of me like talking over the, because like, telling so. your
1: friends how much you love them over a, a quiet noise wall sounds like the best sensitivity electronics release. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: I I know there's definitely a video somewhere. Maybe I'm glad that it doesn't. It's not readily available. Uh, I could feel. I feel like it would be a some kind of meme that would shame me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: was Was the throwing the monitor through a door? The, the same sound engineer was that a response to that same person i don't not, think so because that oh. was like
0: 10 or 12 years before that But i was gonna
1: say at least you could have
0: known like the <laughs> the limits of what i could get away yeah. with <laughs> yeah no i did i i remember like as it was as i was playing that set i was like man i saw a guy throw a speaker through here and i'm pretty sure they came back and played that same venue again yeah i wonder what would happen me knowing that i'd never have to play here again Yeah, I'm trying to think of other bad... I mean, I've had a number of bad sound guy experiences. The sound guy at Summer Scum last year sucked so much. I I Uh, saw
1: internet complaints about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. I hope he never does sound for another noise show ever. And I hope he's listening to this. Fuck you, guy. (laughs) Um, So we got wildly off track. Um, Or maybe we stayed right on track where we needed to be. How soon after you had started doing noise did you start the label
1: uh the label actually came before noise um, oh wow okay yeah so I started the label in I think it was in 2012 and the first OA001 was a Turkish power violence band called neglected that I met on that two-month tour I did with my power violence band so yeah the first release was yeah a power violence band and then the second the second release was just like a sort of metallic-y, hardcore-y kind of band from Brighton called Warwolf. So yeah, so the label started more releasing like punk and hardcore and stuff and I think, but then I started putting out more knife stuff on the label and then for a while when it was a bit more dormant, it was like pretty much just knifed releases and occasionally a release for my friend or like a release for something else I was involved in. So yeah, it was the label kind of sort of predates me doing noise properly or was like the label was starting to happen at the same time I was starting to
0: do noise. So. Right, right. Okay. Do you handle all the artwork for the for the label as well? or
1: um, There's been releases on the label that I haven't done the artwork for, but that's more like in the past releases. Last year is when I sort of really started taking the label seriously again, and I did two batches and then a few other releases as well. And all the, like the, batches of noise tapes I do I try to make them like I'll get art the artists involved to send me like source material or whatever and then make collages or whatever out of their material so that it's still relevant to their release but then there's kind of like a sort of uniform look across the batches so there is stuff where like when I released um re-released the Viennese actionist demo which is Mike from Flesh Lickers Old Grind Band that was just the same artwork that was on the original demo. And yeah, there's been other stuff that I've released that the Swallowing releases, which was the band I did with Mike, all the artwork for that was Mike's artwork. And there was a, a tape that Give Up did the artwork for a few years ago and stuff. So there has been stuff on the label that has been done by the people. But yeah, mostly going forward now, I like, I like to make it sort of, yeah, kind of like a collaborative effort with the artists. So I'm using something they've sent me, but also making sure it kind of looks like an outsider art release.
0: Oftentimes when you hear vocals over noise, aka power electronics, people have a certain presumptions. Usually they fall into one or two categories. And the one category is, you know, that the person is angrily barking about some kind of sketchy political stance or they're angrily barking about some kind of, Issue they have with women, yeah, <laughs> um and and then of course then there's projects that don't really like necessarily angrily bark, but it still kind of ends up falling along those lines of of, of 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 being about those kinds of issues. Obviously, knife doesn't really fit that mold, and it's very funny because when I just when I try to describe knife to people, I I, I try to avoid saying power electronics, but then people hear the Volks are like, oh, so it's like power electronics. And I'm like, no, like it's, it's a little more nuanced than that. I guess, you know, do you want to speak to your like own experiences with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, power electronics being applied to it as a term to knifed is something that there's always been other people doing. I've never gone out of my way to say it's a power electronics thing, which I guess that's kind of comes from punk as well. Cause you know, like if you say you're a power violence band and you're not a power violence band, people are going to let you know. So I've like, I never wanted to be like, yo, this is a power electronics project. Cause like, I'm sure people would be like, no, it's not. But also I think, yeah, the first ever knife shirt shirt I did was I had the like outsider electronics tag on it because yeah, I wanted to make sure that whilst it might retain some of those sonic similarities with the, the kind of projects you mentioned it was something that's separate to it i don't want knife to ever be perceived as a macho project i don't want it to be seen as like a like a this sort of expression of particularly male anger or something i i view it as a lot more sensitive than that and i I'd put it much more in line with someone that's like questioning the idea of gender identity rather or something rather than it forcing a macho perspective I want it to be yeah even though it's, it has quite a harsh sound to it I want it to be yeah, a very also like as a person I'm not in the business of offending somebody based on their ethnicity or their like sexual identity or their, anything like that I really try to make to me, it seems really obvious that I'm totally not like that and that the project isn't. But there, there is there, sometimes when... Because I've had a few people ask me about the the artwork for the first album. They're like, oh, yeah, that dead kid on the cover. That picture is a picture of me after I had a bike accident when I was eight, after I like really smashed my face oh, up. Okay. And it's like when people ask say about the dead kid on the cover and I'm like, well, hello, I am that kid. I can assure you I'm not dead when people say that i'm like oh you really thought that i would be you know like the sort of that i would do the like cut and paste gore thing for this project no so yeah sometimes sometimes i think maybe it doesn't come across
0: as that but it, yeah i want it to be
1: a sensitive inoffensive project that doesn't sound right but you know like
0: it's a more personal more nuanced project yeah. than like here is my loud sound and here are my dumb ideas yeah it's not that. Like, yeah yeah I don't yeah I don't want it to be be like that with with the knife albums they seem very deliberately put together Mm -hmm. and you know I know for myself when when I do full lengths, that I am deliberately putting together when it's not just like oh here's like a 15 minute track here's like a 10 minute track when it's like here is an album presented in its concept yeah it takes me a really long time to put that together like what's the what's the process like for you when you when you're going in to do like a full length
1: so like I said earlier with stuff I often like sort of create a piece I'll play it live hone it and then once I've played it live a bit and figured out maybe what things don't work what things like I can add to it I'll record to it I'll record it and then yeah sort of there's I kind of, yeah, each knifed album has sort of had a, th- a kind of theme and the way it's relating to my life and mental state at the, at the time. I kind of view the first three sort of like a trilogy. The first knifed album is kind of the recognising of a problem. The second album is the problems coming to the surface. And then the third album is those problems sort of really coming to the forefront and being forced to deal with them and then kind of cracks below the surface is life after you've recognised there's a problem and how things continue in light of having been through that sort of mental health cycle. I mean, obviously at the time I wasn't like, right, I'm going to make a trilogy about how my mental health is going to go over the next (laughs) few years. But looking back at sort of the way those records were focused... I feel, yeah, I feel that they sort of, yeah, kind of relate. They sort of work out in that way. And yeah, it's it's the... Actually, just thinking about it now, there's there's a track on the second album that's about cancer. And then on the, the fourth album, which I said kind of deals with uh, the aftermath of it, the intro references some feelings I had at my uncle's funeral, who died of cancer. Mm. So it's weird that in the middle of the trilogy, there's like this seed of cancer, and then in the the album that's sort of like the one supposed to be after the trilogy, it starts with a death related to cancer. That's mm. kind of weird.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting when you find weird synchronicities. Is that the yeah. right word? Weird weird coincidences like that in your own yeah. work yeah. that you're like, I wasn't even meaning to do that, and yeah. I did it. With cracks, cracks is the
1: cracks below the surface. The most recent, I'm yeah,
0: right? cracks yeah. Was, was the most recent one. So with cracks. Uh, I know that you had some uh, assistance with production.
1: Yeah, m- more than some assistance. Yeah, Zen made that record what it is. Yeah, without him, it would have sounded like a much different and much worse
0: record. Was that your first time working like with someone in that capacity, like um, as a producer? No. Or?
1: So the the first Strange Rules EP that I've mentioned a couple of times that was my first time working with Zen on that. I basically I sent him. I sent him those two tracks, pretty much finished, and then went round to his and we kind of tweaked them and he added little bits and lengthened it or shortened it or added what he felt would be would be better. And then after we did that, he was like, "I think we should we should do an album together." And his his idea was to do an album of short track, an A side of shorter tracks, and then a B side of with like one longer track. So he. That album was kind of born out of his suggestion of, yeah, we should do a full length together in the same way we'd done that EP. But he had like a much more hands-on involvement in the album and it didn't quite work out with a longer B-side and shorter A-sides, but um, there is the longer sort of slow burning track on the B-side still. I've done like collabs and stuff with people but that's those two releases are the only two sort of purely knife releases that have had a really close involvement of a third party. Yeah. And I think that's just because I, I think I don't, it's not like I, I don't trust people to with my work or whatever, but I feel reluctant for people to get involved in something that's sort of so personal. Whereas with Zen, it's like, I know him really well. I know he's on the level and I know that his skill is above and beyond mine so that he he would be really really able to bring something to the table which he did
0: so, yeah. right i was gonna say I, I know for like me like it's i can collaborate with someone but I never under like the, the play mother name like i've never never brought anyone into that yeah you know i think there's a few people that i would consider doing that and especially you know lately i've been having friends like give me sound sources and stuff, but yeah. that's like a little different than, yeah, for sure. Then like full on, like, will you help me produce this or will you, yeah. will you arrange this tracks? But yeah, I mean, I guess like, I, I, I guess I was going to ask like what, you know, how was letting go of, of that like control? Like, but again, as I said it, I was like, well, of a handful of people I trust, it wouldn't be so hard if they had suggested it, you know, yeah. like, I don't think I'd ever have thought, Oh, we, will you produce my work? But if someone came to me and said, I think we should work together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think there's that, when it's something that's so personal to you, you've sort of, there'd be that fear of rejection if you went to somebody with your art that really means something to you, being like, yo, you want to produce this? And then then be like, no, that'd be a waste (laughs) of my time. And you'll be like, oh, yeah. It's a lot easier when it's somebody else's idea. And also, yeah, because Knife is so personal and organic to me, the fact that it was kind of like a natural progression that was came out of a friendship that it, yeah, it made sense to work like that
0: before we wrap up i usually like to offer people the opportunity to speak to the audience if there's anything that you feel needs to be communicated to the listeners out there
1: go by contact my <laughs> asap <laughs> yeah. yeah if somebody's thinking about doing noise do noise because if it's really bad and you hate it then you can just leave it but there's the possibility to create something really good and really rewarding. Like you know, it's very low risk. It's not really gonna affect you much later in life if it's oh, oh, when I was 18 I made one really bad noise tape. No <laughs> like nobody's gonna care, nobody's gonna hold that against you. Nobody will probably even ever hear it if it's really bad. So yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, you should definitely
0: do it. Where can people find you on Bandcamp, social media, all that kind of stuff?
1: Um, so uh, Bandcamp, knifedoutexistence.bandcamp.com and outsiderart.bandcamp.com for the label. Um, there's a few um, knifed releases on Spotify and other digital streaming platforms. Um, um, I'm on Twitter as Out of Existence and I'm on Instagram as Immaturity of Movement. And Knifed and Outsider Art both have Facebook pages as well or outsiderartrecords at com. if anybody wants to email me that's that's probably a, enough enough ways to get in touch with me
0: excellent well dean thank you so
1: much for taking some time thank you for yeah taking the time and having me in the house and taking me on tour and let me hang out with
0: the animals <laughs> <It's>, and yeah <laughs> everything yeah it's been a true pleasure thank you Let's go. Thanks again to Dean for coming to the States on his holiday and joining me for a small handful of shows on the No Coast. I look forward to touring a little bit more extensively with you next year, hopefully. Like most of us out there, I'm always talking about what I'm listening to with my friends. And I want to make a better habit of giving a little currently listening to list at the end of every episode. Uh, This month, it's been The Cherry Point, Buried Alive on Chondritic Sound. Cherry Point is back and didn't miss a beat. I'm so stoked on the new recording. I hope there's more new recordings to come, and I hope that eventually this pandemic will stabilize and I can go out to L.A. and hopefully uh, corner Phil for an interview. I've also been enjoying The Form Hunter self-titled LP on Found Remains, Stefan's a former podcast guest, and Weston is an absolute sweetheart of a human being, as well as his uh, his wife, who makes an incredible zine about noise called Noise Widow. Uh, but Form Hunter is uh, is an incredible form for an American harsh noise act, and the B side is probably the best B side of Noise um, in in years. I've also been enjoying Nod, Subterranean Rights. Uh, Grant's a former podcast guest as well, and uh, I I really like the direction that he's taking the project, and, and I'm so fascinated by the source sounds and his love for urban exploration. I would really like to revisit that topic with Grant sometime, hopefully for like a bonus episode for the Patreon. I've also been enjoying the Jackson Pratt Blind Date split cassette that came out this summer. Um, I don't know if there's any copies left, but if you check out Receiving Vault, you can contact Shawnee and Tyler through that and hopefully get your hands on a copy. Last but most certainly not least, I have been listening pretty much constantly to the Skingraft John Weiss Accessible World CD on Tronix. It's the album of the year. Nothing's going to top it. I'm completely confident in that. I can't even imagine anything topping it. Uh, I I can't stress enough how good that CD is and it's sold out, but I believe some distros are going to be coming into copies and uh, I I would go out of your way to track this down. Last month I received a lengthy email and I wanted to respond to it publicly. If it sounds like I'm reading from a script, it is because I wrote out my thoughts. I, I wanted to gather myself and and make sure I didn't ramble in in replying. And so, yeah, you know, uh, I had made a comment on the Harsh Truths Instagram uh, about people who took issue with me saying that Black Lives Matter in regards to the hiatus that the podcast took in June And I I said that, you know, if they don't like it, they can fuck off back to your incel caves and go bother the special interest board or something. And so I got a lengthy email about the comment. And while I think some of the content of the email isn't really interesting to me in terms of responding, uh, at least publicly, uh, you know, namely, I I think the author took a bit too literal of an interpretation of the name of the podcast, uh, Harsh Truth. Is just a common phrase that I thought would make sense for a podcast that focuses on noise and, in particular, harsh noise. And there's, you know, I'm not trying to, to deliver some sort of hot takes and, 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 uh, yeah. But, you know, the author did write about the special interest board. They wrote that the purpose of the board was always to be a, an open, forum for all things noise and things industrial uh, without any other guideline than vaguely, you know, manners and dialogue, as they said. Uh, it's here and there, the moderator does some cleaning, but but rarely. And the author found it odd that special interests is considered to be related to incel or, or Nazi stuff more than uh, it would be for any other, you know, element in, in noise. You know, those elements definitely exist on that board, but you know, they're not the main focus of the forum. You know, the main focus is, is overall support of underground, of the underground genre of noise, you know, a, a place where anyone can promote their work or discuss their work or discuss noise, discuss industrial without being at the mercy of multinational social media network guidelines and similar infrastructure that uh, the author felt is rendering underground s- culture into, uh, a, a, a you know, money making machine and, and a, sterilized environment. You know, I've got to admit that I made that comment as as kind of an off-the-cuff, mean-spirited remark, uh, but I don't want to come off as altogether dismissive of the value of open, relatively unregulated forums, be it uh, online ones or, or just, you know, the idea of, of uh, having a, uh, the the open forum in your community, uh, you know, to the, the space to be able to talk about whatever needs to be talked about, uh, especially in noise music particularly, mostly because I think that the majority of folks involved in noise are intelligent, thoughtful people that can understand the nuance of presentation that uh, on the surface could appear offensive to the uninitiated, and, and special interests absolutely serves that function rather well to its credit. There's plenty of people who aren't racist or misogynist or, or anything but just fellow noise nerds who use that forum. And I don't want to lump everyone in. Uh, like I said, I was just kind of making a mean generalization about a particular group of people. You know, at the same time, those people do exist. And, and when they decide to bemoan me while using my personal project to express my feelings on matters, I, I really have nothing to say to them than if you don't like me, don't listen to me. And while Harsh Truths Podcast, as my project, isn't a rallying point for those people who want to look at some of the that darker exploration and noise and say, this is what I identify with, uh, special interest chooses to keep an open space where those people can gather. It's certainly not a sterile place. And I can appreciate that even when parts of that don't uh, appeal to me or, in my opinion, can be overall harmful to what I consider our healthy community standards, be that you know the community as a small group of noise nerds or, or larger social groupings. I, I personally prefer to affiliate and associate with those who tend to avoid those kinds of noise tropes, to be honest. Um, I think, especially in recent times, that's exactly what, exploration of those topics has become a trope at best for most and at worst, a way for impressionable people to feel comfortable and retreating into what is poorly in my opinion poorly thought out poorly motivated and often frankly just plain stupid ideas there's a difference in art that explores the darker side of humanity and pushes the listener and challenges the listener and art that simply dwells in mediocrity disguised as shock value and knee-jerk presentations Do I have any interest in engaging with racists and misogynists, be it the genuine or the cosplaying kind? No, I really don't. And that's my choice to make. And I can say, no, I do not want to be involved with you or your ideas. Do I personally think giving those people a form to express their ideas is in any way a worthwhile endeavor? No. But at the same time, I can appreciate the concept of an unregulated space of free association and some of the... Uh, potential pitfalls that might uh, arise. Um, just as much as uh, there might be a topic that I find offensive, um, I can just as easily in that same form introduce an, an idea that those people might find offensive or, 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 or troubling. You know, while we're at it, uh, while we're on this topic, I, I do want to make myself clear about where I stand since I think sometimes I'm a little vague and and I probably do that on purpose. I, Roman Leva, am an anarchist. I'm uh, of the post-left variety broadly, of the green anarchist, anarcho-primitivist stripe more specifically, and I'm a supporter of insurrectionary moments like some of the uprisings we've seen in the United States this summer. I believe the concepts of racism, sexism, class and other social hierarchies, and the destruction of the environment and of our very evolutionary biological heritage as human beings has been compromised by agricultural, industrial, technological society, and that confronting those roots is the only way to effectively address other social issues. But I don't dismiss the importance of those issues and their moments in the greater discourse. And I strongly feel that as a first-world, modern, white-passing, cis-male in the United States, uh, my voice can comfortably take a back seat to those less fortunate than I in terms of navigating those moments. Uh, So, you know, I believe that Black Lives Matter and that the issue of racism is real and serious, especially in terms of systematic oppression and and the repression of communities of color. I believe that queer people, trans people, and frankly, just people in general should be able to access self-determination and protection for their communities and to be able to navigate those communities as they deem necessary. Do you need to be on board with everything I just said in order to enjoy this podcast? Of course not. Uh, As you may have noticed, I have and will continue to interview artists who may have major points of departure and conflict with my own positions. Uh, I believe in face-to-face discourse and generally speaking, unless you're just outright threatening to me and mine, we can still have a conversation. So... You know, whether I'm talking to a Maronite Christian or an apolitical noisehead or whatever, I'm approaching discussing your work the same way. But I just wanted to be clear where I stand and to openly admit to uh, you know, yes, of course this podcast can be colored and biased by my views. It's my podcast. If you don't like how I conduct it, by all means, go start your own. I've been doing this since two thousand and sixteen. And in that time, there's been other noise podcasts. Uh, Look at Noise Extra. They have their own approach, and I love that approach, and so do lots of people. Uh, I mean, they even have a Patreon bonus series talking about wrestling, which, you know, goddammit, I've wanted to do that for a long time. And now if I do it, it's just going to look like I'm jacking their zone. There's plenty of room for more noise podcasts. So if, if you feel underrepresented by me, by all means, get your own going. You know, I, I go out of my way to select people I believe have important and special stories to tell in noise. I don't have a cultural or social checklist that I go down, making sure I've ticked all the boxes. I've had a number of people message me saying, you know, why don't you interview uh, more women, more people of color, more queer artists? You know, and the answer to that is, is well, I have. But, you know, I interviewed this, those people based on what I felt was the merit of their art and their artistic journey. I'm not interested in tokenizing my guests. I respect them too much to do that. If you haven't noticed, I go out of my way to make sure my guests feel comfortable and respected first and foremost. And uh, I make no apology for that. I refuse to compromise on this. Um, again, you know, if you don't like it, microphones are real cheap on Amazon these days. Now that you've endured my uh, my little side rant there, I, I-, I wanted to... Address a couple questions that the author did also include in their email. I think these are questions that are worth discuss uh, discussing. you know they're good questions. The first was how do I view the America centrism of the podcast, you know, not just musically but culturally, you know, these notions of community and political correctness and such. I appreciate this this criticism that the podcast is American centric. I, I don't make an excuse for that. It is. Uh, the podcast is mine, and so, of course, it's going to be viewed through my filter. And that just kind of is what it is. You know, again, if you don't like it, press stop on your listening device. Would I like to expand the podcast and include more international guests? You know, of course I would. But uh, one thing that kind of uh, affects that is that I'm pretty big on the in-person interviews, and, and I, I feel it creates an intimacy that... It's critical to telling the kind of stories that I want to tell here. You know, the author spoke earlier of of sterile environments, and to me, nothing is more sterile than a Skype recording or a Zoom recording that's just dispassionate. You know, and, and if the concept of community that I discuss isn't something you're interested in, then, you know, we just kind of exist in two different worlds when it comes to noise, and that's okay with me. I hope it's okay with you. As far as political correctness... I think that's a term that's kind of bullshit, it gets tossed out by people way, way too much. Um, the author used the phrase manners and dialogue earlier, and to me, that's exactly what I'm doing when I'm thoughtful and sensitive to both my listeners and my interview subjects. It's not coddling someone to consider their needs or desires. It's simple human respect. The second question that they had was industrial music, noise music is meant to You know, possibly dig deeper, question the very foundations of what is man, society, religion, etc., and and how the world is perceived. And you know, without a doubt, that might be offensive. It it may cause a difference of opinion. And uh, what what ways is this damaging for the noise community? Is it damaging that one may have to reevaluate or see alternative takes on something he feels is you know foundation to their very being? You know, I kind of addressed my opinion on part of this, but. I think the author would be pretty surprised that I share a similar appreciation for the challenging nature of industrial music and noise music. Um, I think it's important to be honest about the darkness we experience amidst modernity. And, you know, I, I think that truth can be kind of subjective when it comes to uh, one's interpretation of art. You know, I might find a noise project to have a value in its exploration of taboo you know, ideas but someone else might find it to be total garbage. Alternately, there's plenty of people that find my noise to be boring, overly emotional muck. But there's also enough people out there that enjoy it to allow me to regularly play shows and sell recordings. So um, is it damaging to be challenged to potentially reevaluate yourself and your ideas, even your foundational ones? You know, Of course not. But it's also not damaging for me or anyone to assert themselves and say, here is what I feel on this. I have thought about it. I have challenged myself. And still I will not budge. And I think that that is something that um, you might not necessarily respect, but you do have to acknowledge and accept. So that's kind of where I, le- I left my response to that email. Uh, I-, I hope the author doesn't mind that I wanted to, to speak on that publicly And if you have any questions, concerns, complaints, whatever, uh, you can contact Harsh Truths Podcast at harshtruthspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at harshtruthspodcast or on Twitter at harshtruthspod. If you don't want me to make your question, concern, complaint, whatever uh, public, by all means, just tell me that you don't want me... Making it public and and I will be glad to to have a private conversation with you. Uh, there's no such thing in my opinion as a stupid question, and uh, you know i I do believe that even if I disagree with you, that I can still uh, have a respectful, calm conversation with with you in, in, in debate. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. Uh, as I said at the beginning, this should be the first of two episodes this month. If you like what you hear, again, please consider going to patreon.com slash harsh truths podcast and becoming a Patreon supporter. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the podcast and get advance notice of upcoming guests. At the $5 level, you also get access to an exclusive blog and bonus episodes, uh, extra you know episodes on different topics that might not get covered in, in the, in the podcast. And you know, like I mentioned, maybe even a, a podcast here and there about wrestling uh, at the $10 level, you, you get all those, those perks and you also should be getting a monthly digital mix made by me. Uh, I've been kind of dropping the ball on that and I'm trying to find a idea that works for me every month that I can provide my $10 and up supporters. That is fair. If, if, Any of you are listening out there and you have some ideas, please send them my way. At this time, I do want to thank my new Patreon supporters, uh, Beyond the Patch, Carson Kane, Ryan Clark, Aaron Dilloway, a former podcast guest. Please visit HansonRecords.net. Thanks also to David, who didn't provide a last name on the Patreon. Thank you to Travis Dodge and Port City Sound from Grand Rapids. If you go to muskegonradio.com, you can check out his show. They feature experimental artists from time to time. I've been on there a couple times, and Travis is a, is a staple of the Grand Rapids noise scene. Also, thank you to Jerry Reed and Nicholas Rombus. And for two new $10 supporters who will get a shout-out every month, uh, Biro, who didn't provide a last name, and hopefully I didn't butcher your first name. I apologize in advance if I did. Also, thank you to Patrick Scott for joining, and they are joined by Chad Hickman and Kingston Family Singers and Maxcorp Industries, Gray Holger and Noise Extra. Also, uh, Gray runs Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for 17 years, and Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact mics and noise devices. I recently purchased one of Gray's quality contact mics and i've been enjoying abusing it and i'm very satisfied with the purchase so i I do personally recommend those contact mics i also want to thank lynn havid and if i am butchering your name lynn please just let me know also thanks to harrison phyllis thanks to matt purse and oxen records please support oxen at oxenrecords.bigcartel.com And last but certainly not least, thank you to Logan Wells. Thank you to all my listeners and all my Patreon supporters, and we'll catch you next time.